Hey, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Free Solo Podcast. On this episode, I sat down with Jenna Viviano. Jenna is a career coach working to get individuals to that next step and that next stage in their journey. And in this episode, we talk about Jenna's unconventional path from college to Wall Street and into entrepreneurship. In addition, she shares some incredible lessons, tips, and tricks on how to stand out in the job search process. This was an incredible episode, and I hope that you enjoy. All right, everyone. I'm super excited to sit down with Jenna Viviano today. Thank you very much for taking the time to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Absolutely. So let's just dive right into it. And before actually we get started, I want to ask, how has the whole COVID-19 situation um, impacted you? Um, And tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's impacted a lot of people. So in turn, being a career coach, so what I do for a living is helping people transition jobs. It's, you definitely are very much impacted because you're hearing what everybody else is going through, right? Um, so for me personally, I think I've been very lucky from a job perspective and a health perspective. I really can't complain. I'm a little over the quarantine, to be honest. <laughs> but um, mostly just because it's 80 degrees now in Nashville. And so I need, I need to be outside 24-7 and be around people and all the things. Um, but honestly, it has not affected me personally as much, um, except for, um, you know, just having to, having to feel all the feelings basically of all the people that are potentially in between jobs now. So what about yourself? Doing well. So yeah, finishing up the semester here, these next, next few weeks, remote learning has been a challenge, but I think a learning point for all of us as well to see maybe what the future of education looks like, the future of work, whatever that looks like. So it's definitely an interesting time. Definitely ready to get outside, but the, the golf courses are opening up in about That's a nice. week and a half here in New Hampshire. So that'll be something to do. Um, and then we're right on a lake as well. So as the weather turns, we we're just talking about New Hampshire weather, New England weather being very bipolar all over the place. But yeah. once that turns, then it's going to be a much better place to be. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> awesome. So you mentioned being a career coach, but could you kind of maybe take a step back, give us maybe the three to five, what I like to call Genesis story. Um, Mm -hmm. kind of who you are, what you're doing, and uh, kind of that life story um, to some degree. Sure. So I am a Lehigh grad. Um, I graduated in 2012. um, And my story to get to a career coach was very not normal. (laughs) If you would have told me when I was a graduating senior that I would be owning my own business doing career coaching, I would have said, you're crazy. Um, So I was a Wall Streeter originally and worked on, um, worked on, worked in investment banking and then worked at the New York Stock Exchange um, and then ended up working at a startup. And I had switched jobs so many times, I ended up launching my own thing and then grew it to a full-time gig, which I was what I'm doing now. Perfect. And that's actually where I want to start because I think that's such an interesting story where you've done just a little bit of everything, moving from Wall Street um, or right out of college to Wall Street, then to Mm -hmm. a startup and then founding your own company as well. Um, So kind of want to walk through that a little bit. What initially brought you to Wall Street? What was it about Wall Street? that culture, that job, that kind of, that's why you took that step there right after college. Yeah. I think I just really didn't know a whole lot, honestly. (laughs) Um, I, I had gotten the opportunity to interview for an internship at Citibank and had been granted that internship. And I knew that it was a good job. I was not that person or that kid or that girl who grew up wanting to work on Wall Street. Like I know a lot of people in the business school at Lehigh 
did. Um, and that was just never my goal. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My dad owned a construction company. Like the context of Wall Street was just not there for me. Um, so I basically fell backwards into it. They accepted me. And that's literally how I decided to work on Wall Street. I was a double major in finance and marketing. And that was kind of the first move of, okay, you'll give me a job here. Cool. I'll, I'll go. I'll try it for two years. And they say Wall Street's not an easy place to work. Long hours, um, yeah. really kind of the, a rat race, a lot of lot going on any given day. How do you think college prepared you for making that jump and diving kind of right into the heat of it all? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, to be perfectly honest, I don't, I didn't stay very long in investment banking. I ended up working at the New York Stock Exchange, which is actually technically physically on Wall Street. Right. Um, but I would say for me, um, I don't think I fully understood what I was getting myself into, honestly. Um, I think I had ideas of it, but I didn't fully understand what I was getting myself into until I was really there. So in terms of college preparing me, I think academically it was, you know, Lehigh was a very strong school and it was challenging. And so from that perspective, I think like it prepared me. Um, but from a uh, lifestyle perspective, I'm not sure if I was fully prepared. <laughs> Bethlehem, Pennsylvania is definitely a lot different than downtown Manhattan. Yes, it's a lot different. And I think that, you know, anytime somebody is, you're coming out of college, you have these expectations of what your career is going to look like. And, you know, your whole life has been pretty much programmed for you. You go to elementary school, then middle school, then high school, then you're like trying to get into colleges and then colleges, you're trying to get a job. And then it's like, oh crap, now what? <laughs> I don't right. like this. Now what's the pathway that I take? And so that was a really interesting process for me that I'm not sure I was fully prepared for within college, but I'm grateful for my college education. Absolutely. And then kind of talking about that next pivot, going into working for a startup, what prompted that switch? And then what do you think you kind of learned from moving from Wall Street, Citibank, um, mm -hmm. New York Stock Exchange to a smaller company, um, totally different dynamics? Yeah. So for me, when I was working at the New York Stock Exchange, I got to see all these companies go public. And I was like, that would be really cool to be a part of a company that started from nothing and turned into something. Um, I got to see Twitter go public. I was there for um, a, like Box going public, all of these really big companies at the time um, that were the darlings of the Silicon Valley. And so for me, I wanted to be a part of that scrappy, small environment so I could learn how to how those companies were built. So if, cause I knew eventually I wanted to start my own, whatever that was going to look like. I didn't know at the time, but I wanted to gain that skill set. And so for me, it was a combination of seeing these companies go public and wanting to be a part of that experience. And then also at the same time, realizing that I needed to gain some skills if I ever wanted to start my own business. Okay. And that's kind of a, a debate for a lot of college students, especially sure. going right out of school. Do I go kind of the corporate route, big companies, big four, wall street, you name it. Or do I go the startup route? And Lehigh does a really great job of getting kids connected with startups and kind of awesome. steering kids in that direction. But what do you think, I guess, a piece of advice for making that decision in terms of lifestyle, what it's actually like to work at these companies um, mm -hmm. between the big and then the small? Yeah, I think here's the thing. You are not going to make a huge life altering, never going to get back on track career decision your first five years out of school. So let's just start there that any decision you make is not going to change the whole trajectory of your career. You can pivot, you can, I have proof of that. Right. Um, I, looking back on my career, I'm so grateful I went the corporate route first and then went startup. Um, startup environments, depending on the size of the company and where they are in this, this, you know, fundraising process or whatever that may look like for that organization, there's a lot of, there's a lack of structure. 
um, most times and everything's changing. For a lot of people who come from a very structured environment of you know, college and high school and all that kind of stuff, I think it can be actually very overwhelming and not be a good experience. Um, so I think that that's something just to think about of your own learning style, how you operate and really understanding yourself and then choosing based off of that. Um, I'm grateful that I went the corporate route first and then kind of made the pivot because I think that I gained a lot of credibility, um, but then also at the same time, a lot of education on bis best business practices that are really hard to get one in the classroom environment and much better to get real world experience on. Gotcha. Would you say there was a big learning curve going from the big company down to the startup, having to kind of work on your own and not having as much structure? I loved it, but that's also my personality. Right. I was suffocating in a corporate environment. <laughs> so for me, I, it's kind of like I slowly fell into entrepreneurship too, right? So I started in investment banking, which was highly structured. It was very intensive. And then the New York Stock Exchange was a little bit looser. The Muse, which was the startup I was a part of, was a little bit looser. I had a side hustle and then I ended up doing everything on my own, which has, I create my own structure. So I slowly morphed myself into right. that. Um, so for me, it really wasn't, it was actually very exciting. And I was um, excited to be a part of that and getting some more flexibility and liberty to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of perfect segue into what is it that you're doing now? Um, mm -hmm. and kind of share what that, that transition was like from leaving the startup into starting your company, kind of what was the idea and how have you started executing on that? Yeah, it's a lot of questions. Hopefully I will answer all of them. <laughs> you can always backtrack um, as well. Yeah. So I think for me, um, so what I do right now is I have a career coaching and resources company right now. And so what that looks like is I help predominantly mid to senior level, um, female professionals change jobs by using a personal branded approach. So I have a combination of, um, you know, templates, resume templates in my shop. I have courses that I have, I have, um, a podcast and I have, um, a coaching program that I kind of um, started and, and take women through. Um, how I started that, I mean, it's evolved over the years as well. So I think a lot of people think that your career is very much like a ladder and you just climb up the ladder and you just keep climbing. When most people's careers are kind of like roller coasters <laughs> and Absolutely. things ebb and they flow and they change. Um, I started my business as a side hustle when I was working at the Muse. And I basically decided to take it full time when I moved from New York City to Nashville about three years ago. So I had had this good, um, again, this like quarter of a turn where I'd started the side hustle, figured out what I could monetize, what I liked doing and what I liked helping people with, um, realizing that I was pretty good at changing jobs and maybe I could help other people do the same thing. Um, and so it basically evolved from there and then I took it full time. And over the past couple of years, it's, it's really turned into my own personal brand and company that's um, growing. So. And what was, I think you kind of hit on it, but the, the inspiration to go to career building, was it because mm -hmm. you thought you had that kind of that expertise in that space and could help others? Or was it something that you've kind of always been passionate about writing resumes, building LinkedIn's, mm -hmm. um, all those skills? Yeah, I certainly wasn't passionate about that part <laughs> at first. I don't think I'm still passionate about writing people's linked uh, resumes, but I, for me, it was really about noticing what I was good at, noticing what my strengths were and noticing what I could monetize. So I was paying attention to what people were asking me for advice about. I got very interested in solopreneurship and all these online entrepreneurs. Um, and I was just trying to think what could I potentially monetize with something that I know that I'm good at. And that's where really career coaching and helping people brand themselves. Um, so not just their resume, not just their LinkedIn profile, but really understanding what value they can bring to the table and why someone would want to hire them. 
So, um, yeah, for me, it was never just a, a one thing. It was kind of a combination of all the things right. together that really worked um, and has evolved over time. And kind of taking that step from working a full-time job into going into entrepreneurship, what was that leap of faith like for you, knowing that there's always going to be risk, risk involved starting a company? Did you have any initial fears or, or really challenges you had to overcome initially making that jump? Yeah, that's a great question. Honestly, no. And I think here's the reason why I say that. That sounds so ridiculous. Like, of course you have risk and fears, but I think for me, I was just so excited about getting out of New York City. I was so excited about trying this thing. And I had gotten into a point in the side hustle that it was running pretty well. And I knew that if I did it full time, it would be able to be like a full time salary. Um, so for me, that was the biggest risk is I didn't, I was single. I didn't, wasn't, you know, wasn't married, didn't have any like responsibilities really other than rent. And so for me, it was really like, okay, I'm going to try this thing. We're going to see how it goes. And I really did not. And I feel like the transition was super easy for me because I had those two years of doing it as a side hustle before I took it full time. I think just jumping into something starting from scratch can be very overwhelming for people. Um, and for me, I feel like I had a really good trajectory to get me into that next level. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, taking any sort of leap of faith in life is definitely tough, but building the foundation, like it sounds like you had um, mm -hmm. definitely helps to kind of mitigate some of that fear. And then I think some of that risk too, because it sounds like you already kind of had the business model and everything laid out, just needed yep. to commit full time, which sounds awesome. It was fun. I like, I look back on that time. I was like, I was so bold. Yeah, <laughs> I was so bold for doing that. And I'm proud that I took a chance on myself because it's paid off. So yeah. What would you say to people that are thinking about doing it? Um, it sounds like you were very fortunate to not have a lot of those fears that some people might have, but mm -hmm. people that maybe are looking to take an ambitious next step in their life, whether it be entrepreneurship, a new role, what advice would you have to them to maybe overcome the hurdles that they have? Yeah, I think the confidence factor is a really, really big piece, mindset and confidence. Um, I know that for myself, anytime I mean, I made a huge career pivot. Let's use a nine to five example. I moved from, you know, a financial firm to a really small startup and I changed roles too. So I moved from a capital uh, analyst, I guess was my role there at the New York Stock Exchange to a sales development representative. Like I was, I was a totally changing, but I think the reason why I was able to be successful is because I believed in myself first. And I think a lot of people are looking for validation externally before they look for validation internally. And that sounds like a bunch of woo woo and like, okay, yeah, Jenna, we know, but it really <laughs> honestly makes a difference. If you don't believe that you're capable of being successful, you're not going to be like, that's just the truth of the matter. And so I think a lot of what I recommend is if you're feeling like you're having a lot of doubts, a lot of anxiety, a lot of lack of confidence, you need to work on that first and continue to work on it in order to be successful. It's something I'm always reevaluating, always thinking bigger on and making sure that I um, understand what my own strengths are and lean into those versus always trying to fix and compensate for the things that I'm not as great on. Yeah. So let's actually dive into that because I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, how, how do you go about doing that? Because it's one thing to go grab a piece of paper, write down what you think your strengths and weaknesses are. Um, but how do you dive deeper? You said that's something you're always evaluating. What does that process kind of mm -hmm. look like? I'm always paying attention. So I've always been a very curious person. I think that's another reason why I've been successful in the job when I was in the job search process, because I was just truly curious about what was out there and available to me. So for myself now, I'm always thinking about, um, 
am I good at this thing that I'm trying to do? Like if I'm looking at my coaching program, where is my secret sauce? What's the thing that I'm thriving at? I'm always asking that question, that kind of self-coaching model, if you will, of what am I good at? What do I enjoy doing? What do I, what am I getting good feedback on? Do I enjoy doing that? Um, so for me, I'm really realizing that I have this really weird capability of taking somebody's entire career history and whittling it down to like a two cent second, um, two sentence, um, ditty about like elevator pitch about why they're amazing at what they do. Um, I'm very good at able being able to do that. I'm not really good actually at finance. <laughs> I'm really not good at Excel. I'm not good at all those other things. And instead of shaming myself and trying to get better at those things, that's what I outsource. <laughs> and so it's just right. a constant evolution of I'm trying to get into my zone of genius and I'm constantly thinking about what am I good at? What am I not good at? And how do I lean more into the things that I enjoy doing and feel like I'm successful at? Yeah. So, so what is that secret sauce? What is it that I don't want to say differentiates you, but if I, mm -hmm. like if when you're really trying to work with a customer, work with a client mm -hmm. on developing their, their personal brand, their profile, whatever it is, what is kind of like your go-to in terms of content structure or like what we're trying to think about the right way to frame this, but sure. How do you, I guess, get the most out of your, your clients, your customers, so that they're not just searching on Google, how do I build my LinkedIn profile? How do sure. I do this? How do I do that? How do you go that next step deeper into really getting the most out of them? Yeah. So how do I get them better success? You mean? Correct. And yeah. So I think for me, I have developed a system. So there's a lot of career coaches out there. You can be a career coach any old day. Like, you know, there's not a lot of, there's not really great certification programs that are out there. There's not like something you can go to school for that. Right. So there's a dime a dozen career coaches nowadays. What I think has made me successful is I've been able to develop a, I've worked with over 800 people. And so at that point, you kind of get an idea right. <laughs> of what people struggle with and what the real issues are. And so I've developed a system to help walk um, women specifically through understanding what their pain points are, understanding what they really are struggling with and knowing the landscape and being that subject matter expert. I can, I can very easily pinpoint what the problems are and then create a strategy to implement a solution. So it's never about just your resume is never the problem. Your LinkedIn's never the problem. It's the whole entire thing is not working together. You don't know how to strategically job search. You don't know what you want. You don't know the value that you can bring to the table. Then you don't know how to communicate that. It's all of it together. And so my um, four-step system really helps solve that. And it's walking clients through that four-step system that helps them get results. Does that answer your question? Yes. No, definitely. Okay. That was a, a very poorly worded question and a very <laughs> great answer. Um, <laughs> so thank you for kind of saving me there. Um, You're good. But kind of using what you said there, using, you work primarily with women. Um, mm -hmm. And that's definitely a, a very interesting space just because a lot of times women don't have the same opportunities. Um, mm -hmm. What are some of the things that you do to kind of overcome that? Because I think it's definitely an issue that everyone deals with. Um, mm -hmm. So how are you kind of trying to break down some of those barriers and overcome those challenges? Yeah. So for a long time, I served both men and women. Um, and for me, I really enjoyed it. I actually loved my male clients. My male clients were awesome. They would get results too. It was amazing. Um, and then the past year, I've really kind of just taken it like better attention to what was going on in the marketplace and realized that women really struggled with that mindset confidence factor. And that was, 
I would have clients that would leave me, they would get a new job, but they said it was really, they felt like they could see themselves differently in their career. And then I knew that that was part of my secret sauce. So I knew I was onto something with that. Um, and I am, I am, you know, everyone that works with me, I'm not a man basher. I love, again, my male clients. I think men are awesome in the workplace. I've had amazing male bosses, but where I can really help serve women is show them where they can be confident again in their careers. And I actually think it's their responsibility to stand up for themselves. It's their responsibility to speak up in meetings. It's their responsibility to put themselves out there and really work on themselves so that they, um, cause half the battles in their mind. Honestly, with most of the women I work with, they're super talented, but they don't believe that they are. And they've been letting these talk tracks kind of keep them stuck. And we work a lot around reframing that. So it's more about them creating their own opportunities and actually taking back control of their careers. Yeah. I, I basically took no for an answer. I never took no for an answer when, I'm, when I was in my career. And I think that was part of what had made me successful. I was in very male dominated industries and I didn't really care what a male thought of me. I just was going to do my work and I was going to perform well and I was going to ask for what I wanted. And that's something that I didn't, I didn't think I really fully comprehended how few women actually do that. Um, I was raised in a home where my parents told me you could be a mover or shaker. You could be anything you want to be. And so that was just not a part of my narrative growing up. And so I think that helped me. And now my goal is to help other women recognize that in themselves. Right. So you had that mindset kind of, kind of built in you to just go head in and yeah, who's gonna take know? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. There's no reason to, um, to, I think a lot of women will enter into, like if they're in a meeting and got invited into a meeting, they're wondering why they were invited versus being like, how can I show up in this meeting and really like, listen, pay attention and add value. They're two in their heads about it. They're wondering why, why am I here? <laughs> it's like, if you were asked to be in the meeting, believe you deserve to be there. So Right. So kind of on the other side of that, what can we do, whether it's in school, Mm -hmm. in a workplace, to make Mm -hmm. that not the first thought on a woman's mind going into a meeting? How can we make more welcoming environments, more inclusive environments so that it's not such a daring thing to go be a woman on Wall Street? Um, How can we open up those doors? Gosh, that is such a complex question that I don't have a full answer to. Um, I think it, and, and this is just how it's looked for me. I've had amazing male bosses that were advocates for me, despite what my gender was. Um, and so I think the biggest thing for, um, as men, I guess would be to be an advocate for a a woman in, in the workplace and making sure that she, um, feels comfortable and that she feels like she is, um, trusted and respected as long with male peers. Um, so for me, like I never experienced a lot of what women experience in the workplace because I had really great male bosses who advocated for me and still advocate for me. Honestly, one of my male bosses, I was emailing, texting him about my wedding. Like it's, awesome. you know, years and years later, but that's because he really wasn't looking at that. He was just looking at me as a person and really identifying what my skills were. And so my advice is as potential leaders, male leaders, is to create those environments for colleagues and for coworkers and for people that you lead as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, that's a great segue into kind of what I wanted to talk to next about Sure. just, I guess not next topic, but um, the current situation and everybody going through career changes, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people getting laid off, internships getting canceled. While I have you here, I want to try to leverage some of your knowledge insights as much as we can. Um, So kind of just right off the bat, what can people be doing? I guess we'll start with college students who are no longer going to their internships and they were supposed to start a month from now, but have nothing planned. 
advice for them going into the summer to continue developing, continue to grow, um, and also um, create an experience kind of for themselves? What would your advice be on that? Yes. So, oh gosh, so many thoughts. First of all, it's not your fault. I think that's the first thing to recognize is like, if that happens to you, this is just a crappy situation. I've been telling that to people who got laid off, like they were performing so well and then their company just like went kaput. It's not your fault. Um, so I first want to say that the second piece is don't think you're always going to stay here. Does it just cause this is happening now doesn't mean that it's going to be like this in six months to a year. There will be other opportunities. How to create your own opportunities during this time frame. My number one suggestion for every single college student and new grad and people that are new in their careers is you need to get into a habit today of networking. And networking isn't awkward conversations. It's not a one-time event. It's not a happy hour. Networking is building one-on-one relationships that happen over time those professional relationships that are developed over time. So in you, if you got, you know, can't do your internship anymore, what your job this summer is, is your job is to connect with as many people as possible and start building relationships with people. And you can do that very easily on LinkedIn, connecting with people, connecting with past um, Lehigh alum. It's a great way to do it. Um, and really start to build up your, it's going to help you build skill sets to feel comfortable in front of people. It's going to help you tell your story a little bit better. And it's also going to help you meet people. I did this when I was at Lehigh. I was a sophomore and I was up there for the summer. I was doing an internship at a company and um, I went, marched myself down to the Career Services Center. At the time, they didn't have a lot of things digitized at that time. <laughs> I feel like it's not that long ago, but it feels like it was from that perspective. Um, Instagram had just become a thing when I graduated from college. Um, and, and they gave me a list of all these people that worked in fashion, finance, and um, entertainment, because those were the three industries I was interested in. And that entire summer, I sent a bunch of cold emails saying, hi, I'm a new grad, or I'm a, I'm a student at Lehigh University. The Career Services Center gave me your information. I'm looking to have a 15-minute call where I can just ask you a couple questions about your career and how you got to where you got to, and if you have any advice for me. I didn't have every single person respond back. Of course not. But I did have a lot of people respond back. I had this, I had the, which not realizing it at the time, the CFO of HBO. (laughs) Um, I had a VP at Ralph Lauren reach out to me. I had the producer of the original um, cast of Spring Awakening reach out to me. Like I had all of these people reach out to me and it was just because I was bold enough to ask. And so if that's happening to you, put yourself out there because you don't know what's going to happen from that first interaction. And what did those conversations look like when you're talking to the CFO of HBO? Yeah, I think I, I was I was healthy that I was so so naive. <laughs> you know, he told me to pay it forward. That's what his answer to me. He get, answered my questions. I think he liked my spunk and that I was just willing to put myself out there. And he had, um, you know, he answered my questions. I didn't take up a ton of his time. And then he just said, pay it forward. That was his advice to me. Um, so I think I just asked questions about like, how did you get to where you got to? What's your biggest advice for a new graduate? Or um, what do you love about your industry? What do you not like about your industry? Like all of those things were really great questions um, that I asked and um, it helped me get in front of those people too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the, the big things you hit on is that networking is not just a one-time thing. It's not a happy hour. No. Um, so in terms of following up, and making sure you're staying connected with people. What's your advice to do that? I'd say once a quarter. 
reach out to people once a quarter, get a list, a top 10 list of your top 10 people that you want to stay in contact with. And maybe have a longer list that you eventually, you know, want to connect with on LinkedIn or maybe reach out to every once in a while. But I would say create a top 10 list and just reach out to on a quarterly basis saying, Hey, how are you doing? Notice your company's doing this or, Hey, I saw this article made me think of you. Um, all, all your goal is, is to stay in front and to stay relevant. I'll email my um, old boss and I'll say, Hey, how's your daughter doing? I know she graduated this year. Like, how's that going for her? That's literally all I'm doing. I'm truly right. am curious. I'm trying to build a relationship. We need to stop fragmenting it and realize that we're building friendships as much as we are networking for professional gain. That should be the goal. If that's not the goal, then you're doing networking wrong. You got to check your heart, yeah. <laughs> check your motivations. <laughs> Yeah, I've certainly never thought about it like that way. And I think it's a skill that they don't really teach at no. any point in education. Nope. Um, they say to just send an email and then kind of, they don't really tell you that, that story piece and that, that friendship kind of relationship piece of it. Um, yeah. I think school kind of teaches it as, hey, reach out to this person and see if you can get a job at their company. Um, mm -hmm. But you have to really build the foundation first. Yeah, and that's why I think my big... Um, mantra is don't network when you need something, meaning you should be networking before you need something so that when you need something, it's a no brainer to ask for help. Too many people wait to the last minute. And this is why this is my number one piece of advice for new grads or college students network now network often and network for a long time. I love you can't that. Just network when you need something. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Tweet. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's just great because I think I think that goes more than networking too, where we often talk to people. We often reach out to people only when we do need something and you yeah. lose kind of that human element of things where if I text one of my friends that I haven't talked to in six months now, they're going to think that I'm only texting them because I need something. Um, yes. But if we I'll, give you, kinda, mm -hmm. oh, I'll give you a perfect example of somebody who did that recently. Friend of mine, we've been friends for a long time, but um, I know he only reaches out to me when he needs a job advice. I just know that. And that to me is not a beneficial friendship relationship, right? Like, cause it, it just feels, it feels slimy. Now right. if that person kept up with me and it's one of my friends and like, you know, that wasn't the only time they were asking me for help. I would be more than happy to help you. But as soon as you make it about just about you and not about the other person at all, that's where I have a problem with it. So yeah, it definitely happened in my life too. Even though I teach them this stuff, people don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> You should study a little harder, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then kind of moving off of the networking, let's say you are networking, keeping up with those relationships, and then you are looking for a job and you mm -hmm. contact somebody, you get through the application process, you have an interview. Um, they often talk a lot about how to crush interviews. There's all these 10 best tips for an interview. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of them surrounding creating a story and not just talking to your resume points, but what did you actually learn from them and how did you develop and grow as a human what are your interview tips to really just crush any interview, um, whether it be for a job or even if it's a podcast interview, just really trying to get the best out of those, those situations? You have to take your, you have to let your ego sit at the door. So it's not about you. It's about the company or it's about the interviewer or whatever. You are showing up to provide value for them. That's going to infinitely make their experience a lot better with you. They're going to have better feelings towards you and they're going to be grateful towards you. So when you're interviewing, you need to be reading that job description. Like you're trying to figure out what are they thinking? What did they need? What are their problems and what are their gaps? And how do I fill that gap? When you switch the, what a lot of people do is read a job description. They're like, oh, I can do that thing. I can do that thing. I can do that thing. It's all about them. 
They didn't once think about why is the company hiring this role? Why do they need help here? What are they trying to accomplish? When you get really close to that and tell your story from that vantage point, it helps you get the job. Literally nine times out of 10, that happens for people. When they switch how they think about it in an interview, it helps them get the job if they think like that and think about what's in it for them, not what's in it for me. Um, another way to think about it too, is when you're going through the interview process, you want to make sure that you are communicating. And this is for every single job I have ever heard of, whether you're an intern, you're a garbage person, or you're the CEO, you are either making a company money, you're saving a company money, or you're making someone's life easier. I cannot think of a job where that is not the case. Right. One of those. So pick one. That's a great starting point to notice like in this job description, what is my goal? Am I making someone's life easier? Am I saving the company money or downstream? Am I making somebody money? That'll help you too. Beautiful. And I want to kind of touch on, we talked, it was a week and a half ago, two weeks. And I had signed up for your, your 20 interview questions to ask, oh, yeah. an interviewer, um, which I thought was awesome. Kind of approaching interviews from a different way. Like you were just saying mm-hmm. a lot of those questions, because at any interview they'll ask, do you have any questions? And that's kind of one of the, the points for you to really sell yourself even more and mm-hmm. ask those questions to show you've done your research and show you care about the company. What is your favorite go-to interview question? Granted, you're not interviewing for jobs anymore because you mm-hmm. went and started your own company, but your yeah. go-to interview question that you've seen a lot of success with. Yeah. Oh gosh, there's so many, but I think what the biggest thing to remember when you're asked what questions you have for us is that you are interviewing the interviewer as much as they are interviewing you. You have to decide for yourself, is this a good fit for me? Is this a good place where I can call home and I can learn and I can give, right? It's a both-in equation. So just being cognizant that it's not just about you proving yourself. It's also about, is this good for me and my family and my lifestyle and what I want out of my career? And it's okay to own that. I think one of the best questions um, that I find actually really helps to discern like what's your manager going to be like because ultimately people leave managers and cultures they don't leave job functions 80 90% of the time that's typically how it goes um and so i would say a great question is asking somebody who's going to be your manager can you describe your management style in three words it's very specific it allows them to and it gives you an idea of what they're thinking that's another question you can ask your pe- the people who maybe your peers like what would you say uh, what would you how would you describe our manager's style in three words it's a great question that helps people anchor to something make them give you an actual answer <laughs> right. um, and then you feel like you can you have to listen for that and understand what does that mean and what can I be reading between the lines on yeah and what if I think oftentimes in an interview, you're going there because you're obviously interested in the job. Sure. What if you get answers to those questions that you just don't like and Mm -hmm. realize kind of on the spot that that job's not the right fit for you? Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess kind of going back to the current situation where times are tough and people are trying to get jobs wherever they can, dealing with those situations where you might not be in the right fit, you might not be in the right job, um, but trying to make the best of that situation. Yeah, I think that that's a case by case basis, I would say. Um, I think it just depends on an A plan and a B plan. Usually what I tell most of my clients is have an A plan and have a B plan. It's okay if you need to go to your B plan for now in the hopes of going to your A plan in six months, a year from now. 
Um, so I think it just depends on financial situation. I think it depends on what your risk tolerance is. There's a lot of things that some people I would recommend to take that offer that doesn't feel like it's exactly right. But some people I would say you need to wait it out. So I think it just depends on the person. And I unfortunately can't give an exact answer on that because it really depends on the individual. Um, but I think it, you just have to understand what your own risk tolerance financial situation is and what you're really um, can gain from it. I think if you go in with the expectation that you're not going to be there forever, but you're going there to learn something, then that's the right expectation. If it's not your ideal situation. Perfect. I love that. And I think Mm -hmm. I just have one more topic I want to dive into before we wrap up here. And that's just around entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. and learning. My favorite topic. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and learning. And I think taking those first steps as, is a lot of, a lot of people's trouble point. Um, how do you mm-hmm. actually go about taking those actionable first steps and starting a company, it, whether it's as simple mm-hmm. as getting the Instagram account, the, the handle or setting up a website? Um, what advice would you have for anybody that's looking to start a company um, to take that first step? Yeah, I think you have to get really clear as to why you're doing it. That's the first step is, is why are you creating a company? What is the purpose? What's your why? Getting really clear on that and then understanding who am I serving and how can I serve them really well before you even get to putting up a website and an Instagram. People usually do, it's kind of like when I get people in for the, if they're looking to change jobs, they want to jump straight to the resume. I'm like, you are missing all the steps before that where you have to get clarity on what do you actually want in your career? Where is it not living up to your expectations? What's the value you can bring? And then you can actually do that really well. Because if you're building out a resume that you don't understand what you're using it for, it's going to be useless. Similar situation if you're building a website and an Instagram account for something that you don't really know what you are offering, it's, it's kind of doing the carpet for the horse situation. Right. So my recommendation to people is you want to get really clear on what you want, why you're doing it, and who you want to serve. And then understand based off of who you want to serve where you need to be. So for me, I was on Instagram first. Instagram is actually really not a great place for me personally. I've not found it to be great for getting new clients. It's just not. LinkedIn, on the other hand, prime place for me to be. So I picked one content platform to not overwhelm myself to really dive into. Now I'm still on Instagram, but I don't have expectations around that. That's more just for fun. I include stuff about my family, all that kind of stuff. In LinkedIn, I picked one platform to not overwhelm myself and I doubled down on that and I really got traction. I think we had, we doubled our following in a year and we had goals to reach 20,000 followers on LinkedIn by the end of this year. And we we're already almost at 18,000. So oh, wow. You're yeah. well ahead of schedule. Yes. Well ahead of schedule. So I think the thing is to not get into overwhelm is not to try to do all the different platforms and all the different places to potentially market yourself, pick one and stick to it. Awesome. And as every entrepreneur sh- shares their kind of su- failure success stories along the way, yeah. is there one particular failure or lesson even that really stands out to you um, that you really learned from and you really feel like was a jumping point in your career? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, there's little failures all the time. I think the big thing with that I have learned to get comfortable with is rejection. So it doesn't exactly answer your question, but I'm okay putting myself out there getting rejected because I know that the more I put myself out there, the more opportunities might come my way. That's how I've gotten on really large podcasts. That's how I've gotten myself um, in front of LinkedIn, like LinkedIn corporate. It's how I've gotten myself into really great situations. So I got really comfortable with rejection 
early on, because I got rejected a lot in the early parts of my business, right? There's a lot of people that don't want to work with you because they can't afford it, don't see the value, whatever, and you can't take it personally. It's really hard to do. But as soon as you get comfortable with rejection, you get a lot more comfortable and just keep on pressing forward and have that resiliency. In terms of an actual failure in my business, so I would say the first year that I was in business, um, I tried to launch a course. I like tried to do that. I went and paid someone to film it, the whole thing. And I never launched it. And we're actually just now launching that course with like all new material, all new structure, like next month. Awesome. (laughs) So, um, it took about two years actually to make it come to fruition and to build it out. Um, that to me at the time felt like a huge failure because all I wanted to do was to have passive income streams or to be able to have a one-to-many model. And it took about a good two years to have our first course go live. And now our second course is about to go live, which was supposed to happen two years ago. So for me, the biggest learning lesson is just because it doesn't happen now doesn't mean it's no forever. And also it actually is going to be so much better than the first time around because I've had two years now to fester on it, to test it, to understand if the methodology works for clients. And it does. So now I feel confident, of course, charging a higher price point for it. Cause it's like, why would you not want this? Because it's going to help you get to your next level. I'm confident of that. So. Right. And that must not have been an easy thing to do. Cause whenever we have some sort of content or something to put out, we're very impulsive and we want to just do it right away. Totally. Um, so being able to hold off for two years, I think is pretty impressive on that. Yeah. So we turned it, we actually turned that material into a coaching program and that's what we've been doing, but we're actually morphing that into a course so that more people have access to it and more people can, um, can reach it as well. Awesome. So everyone's going to have to stay out on the, the lookout for that yeah. um, coming up <laughs> next month. But before we wrap up here, do you just have any final kind of thoughts, insights, advice, tips, tricks, you name it, um, that you want to share, whether it's relevant to this time, college students, anybody? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is don't fear taking some chances early on in your career. Um, I think the biggest issue that I find with people that are mid to senior level is they never took chances early on and now they've been stuck on this trajectory, which they can change now too, but it's a lot harder. So look at your first five years out of school as being like a time for you to be a sponge. Learn as much as possible. Be curious as much as possible because you're never going to find a time like this in your life where you get to do that again. Um, so just enjoy it. Don't put so much pressure on yourself and realize that you have something to bring to the table. It's just a matter of time until you figure out what that thing is. Beautiful. I don't know if I could have thought of a better way to wrap (laughs) up this episode. Um, but in terms of people getting in touch with you, kind of following you and your journey, all the great stuff you're doing, how can people connect with you, whether it be LinkedIn, Instagram, Yeah. So LinkedIn is the place where I produce the most free content. So I produce about three posts a day, five days a week. Um, so we have a ton of free content on LinkedIn. So you can just connect with me or follow me there and tell me if you do connect with me, tell me that you heard me on this podcast, just so I know. Um, I'm also on Instagram. So it's just my name, Jenna underscore Viviano. And then I also have a podcast myself called your career story. And it's a bunch of practical, actionable advice for um, men and women, but a lot of women mostly, um, and the things that they struggle with in their careers. And the podcast is fantastic. I listened to the episodes surrounding um, that everything's always changing and everything's always out of our control. Yeah. Um, and during this time, people think that things are more out of their control than they typically are. Um, but, but they're really, not. It's always really out of your control. <laughs> right. Um, it just feels more intense right now. 
yeah, that kind of flipped the switch in me, definitely just thinking, because oh, I think we do always want to be in control, but it's just not practical and not a reality to be able to. But mm-hmm. how do you manage the things that you can control? Yeah, it's a mindset shift. I think that's the biggest thing. If people can learn how to train their mind, you're unstoppable. So, very powerful. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yes, Jenna, thank you for taking the time. I know you're very busy. um, So really appreciate you having you on. Awesome. Thank you. I would like to extend a huge thank you to everyone that took the time to listen to today's show. As always, all episodes are available on all major podcast streaming platforms, such as Spotify and Apple Podcasts. To stay up to date with us for the latest content and news, please go check out our Instagram at freesolopod.